Hello and welcome as you join us on Search for Truth. It's great to have you with us. We've talked number four in this series today from Bible teacher Brian Johnston. If you've been following over the last couple of weeks, you'll know that the theme of the series is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Those who place trust or faith in Christ's sacrifice are his disciples or followers. And today, Brian looks at what we have to look forward to, that is, if you are a Christian disciple, then what we have to look forward to both now and in a day to come. So, thanks, Brian. Thanks, John. The spirit of the age, the prevailing culture, can so easily affect us as Christians. It seems indicated that some sections of the Church of God at Corinth were aligning themselves with one or another Christian leader, very likely comparing them based on their speaking skills. After all, this was exactly what the world around them was doing in the wider society. To take one of the names mentioned, that of Apollos, he was from Alexandria, with its reputation for learning, and what we know of him was that he was personally a very powerful speaker. It's not without significance that Paul makes repeated reference to Apollos. Now, from the little we know of Apollos, he was a humble man, and so it's not likely that Apollos was intentionally trying to outshine Paul or draw away a personal following or trying to be competitive in any way, but in the cultural context of Corinthian Christianity, it was hard for those in the church not to make comparisons and not to express preferences. Shortly, we'll see how Paul returns to this issue, but first, after reading the opening of chapter 3, we'll come to another link with what's gone before. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? Previously, in his letter, in chapters 1 and 2, Paul has described the Corinthians as mature and spiritual. This might lead us to think of them as spiritually mature believers in the Lord Jesus. But the third chapter shows us that they were not. They were spiritual only in the sense of having received the Spirit, but it was not intended that they should necessarily be characterised as spiritually minded. After all, they were also said to be mature in that they were enlightened by the call of God concerning the cross as expressing God's wisdom, but their actions described in this chapter show them not to be emotionally mature, far less spiritually mature. Now Paul continues, For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labour. This seems to revisit the opening theme of the letter, in which Paul has already criticised the Corinthian church for splitting into groups, each saying either, I am of Paul or I am of Apollos. With characteristic humility, 
Paul returns to the deep concern he had with this divisive tendency among the Corinthians. Taking himself and Apollos as specific examples, he proceeds to tell them that neither he nor Apollos should be considered as anything other than instruments the Lord had used in reaching and teaching them. He essentially describes Apollos and himself as nobodies. What's more, they were one, in that they were united in their work on behalf of the church there. Up until then, Paul has been using the horticultural or farming metaphor of him planting and Apollos watering those in the Corinthian church as they were viewed in the same imagery as being God's cultivated land. But notice how Paul, in the next verse, changes the metaphor from farming to a building project. Reading from verse 9, he says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Perhaps Paul changes the scene because he wants to develop the idea of lots of persons making their contribution, so he switches the picture away from one of assisting natural growth to a construction setting which focuses on the involvement of individuals. Each Christian is a builder. In terms of the figure of speech Paul's using here, We either build with incombustible materials or with combustible materials, that is, either with stuff that cannot burn or with stuff that can burn. The person building with stuff that burns is the backslider, being the Christian who's not following God's plan or not doing the things God wants him or her to do, or who maybe is doing things that seem fine, but the motivation behind them is all wrong. At that future meeting, which we'll each have with Christ, there'll be a fiery testing of our works. It'll be the flame test. If it burns, it wasn't any good. Imagine the worst, then, that could happen for a Christian. They watch all their life's works go up in smoke. They lose, therefore, all their potential reward. There's nothing left for which to be rewarded. Nothing has withstood the fire. But what about the individual concerned? Did you catch Paul's reassuring words in this baseline case? Here they are again from verse 15. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. Ah, thank God for that. So then, here's what we are seeing from our Bibles. There are rewards for faithful service, which we may fail to gain, as distinct from the gift of salvation itself. Salvation itself is not a reward. It cannot be lost. But we may, in some sense, suffer loss. That means the loss of potential rewards we may have gained if we'd lived a life pleasing to God. Now, let's continue with Paul from verse 16. 
Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. The Greek grammar of this verse is the very same as that of 1 Corinthians 12 verse 27, where we take the meaning as being that a local church of God is characteristically the church, the body of Christ. So logically, the same thing must apply here. That is, the church of God at Corinth is characteristically the temple of God. In actual fact, the temple of God was something bigger, being the aggregate of all the churches of God. What Paul is saying here, with these mentions of building and the temple, is that if we build badly as Christians, we can also have a negative impact on God's work among other believers. For example, in the sense of corrupting them with false teaching. At the end of this third chapter, we now find the Apostle Paul returning once again to his earlier themes. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish, so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Once again, Paul draws a distinction between the world's wisdom and God's wisdom, and we remind ourselves that without an appreciation of the cross, we can have no grasp of God's wisdom. For what Paul has already taught us is that the foolish revelation of God's truth is cross-centred. Paul will boast in nothing other than Christ crucified. Again, he talks of how he, Apollos and Peter are not to be distinguished. In a sense, they and all things, the world, life, death, things present and things to come, all belong to the believer, whoever he or she is, because he or she belongs to Christ, who belongs to God. God is the creator of all things, and Christ is the inheritor of all things, and God has freely given us all things in Christ. Wow, that certainly puts things into perspective, does it not?
So, in the words of our hymn, be this our prayer and this our aim, in him may we abide. If we read in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus said, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And in the first letter of John, chapter 2 and verse 28, he says, And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ, so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. So let's endeavour to do just that. And there's a booklet available now to accompany this series. If you'd like a copy, please write in, making sure to let us have your postal address and ask for the title, Nothing But Christ Crucified. You can order by email or by post, and here are our contact details, so please make a note. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8DY. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Be sure to look out as well for Search for Truth featuring on www.twr360.org and this will give you another opportunity, an excellent way of accessing again what you first heard on the radio. So we really appreciate your interest in Search for Truth programmes and it's been great to have you with us. I hope you enjoyed the talk and you found it helpful. So do join us again next week, if you can, for another study in this series. But until then, very best wishes from Brian, from David, from our singers, and from me, John. Goodbye, and may God richly bless you. <laughs>